Morning, good morning. It is a wonderful day. It's a beautiful day outside. Made me think of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. As I was driving past, I passed a couple of cornfields and there's a slight fog as the sun was coming up. There's something about a fall day and the, the rising of the sun uh, in the morning and the cool of the morning. It does, it, it, it makes you want to say, thank you, Jesus. I mean, as if the blood was not enough, thank you for the beauty of, of your creation and the blessings that come with it. Also, the children can be dismissed to Sunday school. <laughs> Actually, the children are why I'm getting to bring the message today. So it's kind of exciting for a number of reasons. Because it's in that context that I want to look at a chapter in the book of Psalms. Psalm 127, as we just read a few moments ago, and if you would turn with me there, we're just going to spend a couple of minutes. I'll try to be quick, I'll try to be quick, because, you know, we got the lions playing, woo! We've got so many reasons, to, <laughs> so many other priorities than God's Word, am I right? Come on. All right, well, Psalm 127. <clears throat> This is a song of ascent, and it's widely accepted that it's written by Solomon, the son of King David, so King Solomon. And what it means by a song of ascent is that this is one of the songs that they would sing as they went up to Jerusalem to worship. And so now you have a little bit of background. So starting here in Psalm 127, let's just dive right in. Verse 1, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So let me just stop right here in verse 1. Is Solomon directing his attention primarily to carpenters and construction workers, builders? I would say no. I would say there's actually a couple of different approaches actually at work here. There's a couple of ideas at play. So first we have this initial theme here in, the, in this chapter of Psalms, one, uh, uh, and it's this idea that we are called to labor. We are called to work, but not separate from the blessings in which God brings. You all understand we can't trust our work or our efforts over God's provision and his wisdom and his protection on the things that we have set out to do. What good does it bring to build and not to ask God to show you favor in all the efforts of your hands? What good does it bring to finish anything and never ask God to provide wisdom and how you set about doing it or to provide protection over the thing in which you have just built? What good does it bring to, to do all of these things only to have it washed away the very next day through a storm? You are building it in vain. And actually, verse 1 kind of reminds us of an earlier verse in Scripture. We look again here. Unless the Lord builds the house, this idea of building and working and, and actually keeping. And then again, later on, uh, line down, unless the Lord 
watches over the city. This brings to mind guarding and keeping the city, protection, protecting it, keeping it. And so as we read this, if you have your Bibles with you, I promise we're going to go back to 127 there in Psalms. But uh, if you can, just turn over real quick. I want to give you this verse, Genesis 2. What this does is it reminds us of the original mandate that God had given Adam. In Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, so Adam was meant to work it. He was meant to labor in it. He was, it, was, it was meant to maintain it as he walked and fellowshiped with God in the garden. Adam was meant to labor. God gave Adam a job. Adam got himself a job. And so this is a note to all the young people who are going into the workforce, okay? Uh, employment and work actually came before the arrival of sin and corruption. So work is actually a good thing. If you hate work, it's probably got more to do with you and your attitude than the actual idea of the job, all right? So there's a good little pep talk for, your, for you to get ready for Monday morning. All right. We are called to work, but without God, it would be a, if I may use this word, nugatory and pointless endeavor. Nugatory. Are you aware, Dr. Redenauer, are you familiar with the word nugatory? You've never heard the word nugatory? I did not make that up. <laughs> I reached way in the back pocket for that. I just figured, you know, the Dr. Rednar would have been familiar with the word nugatory. Look up nugatory and it will not be in vain, I promise. <laughs> but we also see here that Adam was not only supposed to work and labor in the garden, but he was to keep it as well. What does keeping it mean? It means don't lose it. Guard it. Protect it. Watch over it. Genesis 2.15 is the perfect example as to what Solomon is warning against. So we don't have to look too far to see how devastating it can be for us when we do not seek out God's plans, when we do not trust in drawing from His resources, when we do not uh, seek Him and ask Him, please, God, bless the effort of my hands as I try to set out in doing this thing. All right, and then verse 2, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Okay, so I'll, I'll be quick here. Basically, the psalmist is saying, you are so anxious over all of the things that you've got going on that you are losing sleep over it. It's keeping you up at night. As we see, because you, you read that and you, and you think, for he gives his beloved sleep you would think that he, he gives his beloved prosperity or riches or whatever. No, he, what he does is he gives you rest. How many times have you stayed up late, unable to go to sleep because your mind is racing about all of the things that you've got to do the next day or the bills that have gone unpaid? He gives his beloved sleep. He gives him rest. And so uh, in response to that verse, let me just give you, we touched on this on Wednesday night, uh, these two verses, 1 Peter 5. 
Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then verse 7, okay, so this is what you do with your anxieties. It's easier said than done, so it's going to take time and practice. Casting all your anxieties on him. And here's why, not because you earned it, not because you could earn it, but because he cares for you. Why does he care for you, Andy? (laughs) Amen to that. You're his child. That's right. Now, I did point out earlier that there were a couple of different ideas at play here in Psalm 127. So the second thing that I want to point out here is that Solomon, like I said, is not exclusively speaking to carpenters and framers of homes and and builders, for all you guys who, who, who lay the foundation and work in construction. Yes, he's speaking to you, but sorry, you're nothing special yet on, in, in regards to this. <laughs> Solomon is not giving us the blueprints for how to build a house here. He's giving us blueprints for how to build a family. You all get that? In 2 Samuel, we see that David wants to build a house for God. David wants to build the temple for God. But then what's God's response? No. He says, no, you will not build me a house, but I will build you a house. Now, if we approach Psalm 127 literally, then we would say, well, David already had a house. David's already got a house. In fact, his house was so nice that it made him feel bad for the Lord the Ark of the Covenant being kept in a tent. That's why he wanted to build uh, uh, God a house because his house was so nice. So what does God mean when he says, I'm going to build you a house? What he means is he's talking about the future generations. He's talking about the Davidic dynasty. He's talking about a family, a house, the familial house. So... Before we get to verse 3, we got to back all the way up now to the beginning. Verse 1 again. And as we do, we read this through a completely different set of lens. So if the house in Psalm 127 actually reads family, if we can uh, say family, then how does this actually read? Unless the Lord, verse 1, builds the family. Mm. Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city. Okay, well, what does he mean by city? Well, if if a city is comprised of essentially a bunch of houses, then I would take the city to, to mean all of our interconnected families. It's not my job to build my city. Is it? Unless I'm hired by the city to do so. Andy, it's not your job to build uh, Flint. But it is my job to build my house and to maintain it. It's not Bobby Lane's job to build my house. So, in that context, it is my responsibility to build my family on God's word that we obey it. And as one of your pastors, it is my job to pray for protection on behalf of the interconnected families that we have here that really basically what I mean is the church I condemn myself here if I forget if I ever stray I'm a little nervous because because the Holy Spirit can convict me of this 
hey, you're not praying for the families. You know there's hurting people in the church. And so, like the watchman who stays awake, my pastoral duties would be carried out in vain if I fail to pray for our church and ask God to intervene in the lives on be, uh, in, in the lives of the people in our church. I am doing all of my things in vain if I do not inquire of God and intercede on your behalf. That makes sense? And so now that we see this context of verse 1 and 2, we see because there's been debate as to whether or not Psalm 127 could have actually been divided up into two different psalms. But actually, that's not the case. Because Psalm 127, we see now with this idea in this context, how verse 2 ends, it actually slides right into verse 3. And I love, I love this because uh, verse 3 really is an answer to the anxiety described in verse 2. Let's read verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward, verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man, verse 5, who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. In verse 2, we see that without God's blessing, we are suffering from the anxieties that the storms of life can bring, from our daily worries. What kind of anxieties weigh on the family unit? What kind of stresses do our marriages go through? How many marriages are stressed because of of paychecks or lack of paychecks? How many marriages are stressed because of a lack of work? Can't find a job. But then look at this. Verse 2 ends in a way that leads us right into verse 3. He gives us sleep. He gives us rest. I can't find a job. He doesn't give you a job. He gives you rest. (laughs) He gives rest, not more work. He doesn't give you more work. Because then verse 3 hits us. Here it is. Verse 3, behold, listen up. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb are reward. Children are a gift from God. God gives us gifts while we are anxious about not earning enough. God gives gifts while we're worried about not earning. You know what that is? That's grace. God gives us grace. And here's the thing about kids, okay? If I may. I have four now. So I have some background in children. Children are not conceived... Can you bring it up a little bit, Pastor? He's in in the front row giggling. (laughs) I feel like we got junior high kids on the front row. (laughs) Children are not conceived during a time of anxiety and turmoil and laboring and working. Children are conceived during rest. During a relaxation period, I would say. Anxiety does not tend to produce children. Now, kids are conceived when we've been given rest. I have a point that I'm getting to. This is my point. 
while you are anxious about many things, God can provide more for you in your rest than you can provide for you in your work. You all get that? You might write that down because that is a, is a building block of faith and encouragement. God can provide more for you while you are in your rest than while you are in your work. Busy at it. Breaking your back. And here's another one. You cannot earn true riches. What are children? Children are true riches. You cannot earn them, but only, as we see here, receive them through the grace of God. It is by God's grace that we have kids. If you don't have them yet, then ask for them. Right? There you go. Ask God. Pray for them. All right, verses 4 and 5. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Verse 5. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Okay, so why are children compared to arrows in the hands of a warrior? Well, uh, to answer this question, I have, I have a friend who's a pastor in southern Illinois, and uh, we actually talk quite a bit, and he's, he's the head pastor of, of this church, and <clears throat> he's been nominated for a spot on the local board of arts and such. I'm not entirely sure. It's a, it's a local board, and it actually is kind of a big deal. It's got quite an influence as far as how they want the town to basically be, the, how they want the town to look, the atmosphere of the town. This board uh, carries a lot of influence, and he's been nominated uh, for a seat on the board. And so... He told me that one of the things they've done, for example, on this board, in order to make their town look nice, is that they've painted these really nice murals all over the town. And, and so when you drive through, you just see, you know, all of these welcoming paintings that the local uh, people have done. They've, you know, got the local artists to paint and just make it look really neat, really nice, really, really welcoming. Now, what he said was that he's that the town is running into about a dozen or so drag queens that are moving up from Florida into this town, Mattoon, Mattoon, Illinois. And they're running for local seats. They want to get on the board. They want to get on this board because one of their goals is to replace all of the murals to be more drag queen oriented. So as I talked to this pastor uh, on the phone, uh, who I believe is on the front lines, uh, my wife, precious wife, Amber, is she in here or is she in the nursery? No? Okay. Okay, they can talk then, just between you and me. No, she overhears me talking to this pastor on the phone. And so when I hang up, she's flustered. And she says, I mean, I, you know, it's just so frustrating. I understand they want to do their thing. I get that. They want to do their thing. But why do they have to replace everyone else's 
thing? Why do they have to come and replace everybody else's? Why are children in verses 4 and 5 compared to arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior? Well, because when you see a warrior holding arrows, this is an indication of warfare. And this is my point. You and I are called to engage in the spiritual warfare that is taking place right now and has been taking place. Why do they have to replace everyone else's territory with their own? Because warfare always results in either a loss or a gain of territory. You all understand that? In fact, the expansion of territory is often the reason why war begins in the first place. You can look uh, at Russia and Ukraine. Putin wants Ukraine. He's want, he wants that territory. So when we see the church losing territory in entertainment, in media, politics, education, we understand that this is a reflection of what is actually taking place in the spiritual realm. We see that, that this is mirroring what is happening. That territory is being lost. What more evidence do we need that we are fully engaged in a spiritual battle than when we see the church lose influence? So now here's the thing. Children are like arrows in many ways. One, arrows don't grow naturally. They must be formed and shaped. You can't just take a log, throw it on the side, and expect it to become an arrow. Now God could do that, but man can't. We are responsible for shaping and forming our, our children. Arrows must be directed or they can fail to live up to their purpose. But, here's the thing, like arrows, my children can go where I can't. Like arrows, the warrior cannot go everywhere. So what do they do? The archers, they shoot because the arrow can go where the soldier can't. See, I can't go into the elementary school and start telling the fifth graders about Jesus and why they should come to my church. I can't do that but my kids can, and they do. Children are like arrows because they're amazing tools for the warrior in battle. And so the man who fills his quiver with them is blessed. See, this is, and Satan knows this. Satan knows this. I don't want to get off my notes, but I will say, we see how uh, uh, there is a war taking place for our children and against the biblically uh, prescribed family unit. This is why abortion is so prevalent. This is why uh, children are born out of wedlock. This is why divorce rates are so high. Satan has completely come after the, uh, the sanctity of marriage and the unit of family that is prescribed for us in Scripture. Okay, and then we'll just close this out. Verse 5, the last there. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. We need to understand just real quick about this, that the gate here, uh, it's not just like an interest to the city. The gate was where, in the city, business got done. Transactions were made, deals were struck, uh, justice was administered. The gate is where 
the economy took place of the city. That, if that helps. And so it was a big deal when you went to the gate. On top of that, it carries this idea that this will take place when the parent is older. Scripture continuously warns against taking advantage of widows, orphans, uh, and those that are within the vulnerable population, such as the elderly. Scripture is constantly warning against that. The elderly who didn't have kids would constantly have to be on the lookout to make sure that they weren't being taken advantage of as they went about their usual business, as they went to the gate. And see, he uses the word enemies here because he's saying, look, you ain't a friend of mine because if my kids weren't standing here making sure that everything is on the up and up, you would take advantage of me. And so that's why he uses the word enemy here. And so the idea here to close out the psalm is that uh, he, he will be looked after by his children and his children will look after his business and he will be cared for in his old age. My wife is a perfect example of this. My wife is a perfect example of this. And, and in fact, actually, my mother-in-law is a perfect example of this. She uh, takes care of her, she took care of her parents and now she takes care of her sister who has been diagnosed with uh, dementia and it's not easy I would say it's actually um, sometimes it's, it's pretty rough and she's got to run to Jesus <laughs> alright so before we dedicate these precious babies how can we make sure that we are building our family how can we make sure that we are building our house uh, that he is building our house and that we are not building it ourselves. Let me just give you some four, four very basic, very basic questions to ask yourself. If you can't say yes to any of these, then I'm afraid you may be building your house separate from the Lord. Okay, number one, very basic. Do you pray? Do you pray for your spouse? Do you pray for your kids? Do you pray for your literal home and protection over it and all those who live within it. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your kids. If you don't have any yet, pray that God will be gracious and give you children. Pray for your kids' future spouses. Pray for holiness and a preservation of their innocence. Pray that God would be pleased in the way that they conduct themselves within their relationships. Pray for your kids and their holiness and their future spouses' holiness as well. We've got to be, if anything, a praying family. Okay, here's the second question. Is there an open Bible in your home? And I mean open, because that indicates that somebody's reading it. <laughs> Are you setting the example in Bible reading for the rest of your home, i.e. family? Let your kids see you reading your Bible. Teach the Bible and encourage memorization of Scripture. But let your kids see you reading it. Because that'll convict you to make sure that you don't fly off the handle next time uh, milk is spilled. Because that's going to be really weird. It's going to be like, Dad, I just saw you reading the Bible 20 minutes ago. Why are you breaking the, 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 the windows? <laughs> They're going to know something's not flying right. Let your kids see you read the Bible. Let them see that and question. What are you reading? What is this? It's a big book. Yep, it's great. Number three, how do you love your spouse? 
Do you love your spouse? Children will find their sense of stability in the confidence that they have in your wedding vows. If the parents are continuously screaming at each other and threatening each other, threatening each other physically, threatening each other with a divorce, if that will uh, uh, produce a chaotic background for the child, along with a sense of unpredictability and instability. Children know that they are loved by the way their father loves their mother. And number four, are you prioritizing church attendance and involvement? I like this verse. Luke chapter 6, verse 40 says, A disciple, Luke 6, 40, is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Okay, notice that Jesus isn't saying that the disciple will become as he was taught. No, the disciple will be like his teacher. One of the best ways to teach your kids to prioritize church involvement and church attendance is for yourself to prioritize church involvement and church attendance. You want your kids to grow up uh, 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 serving the church? Then you show them what it looks like to serve the church, to love the people who make up the church when they are obnoxious, when they are kind of annoying, when they do things that is inconvenient for you. Love them anyway, and then your kids will see that. You want your kids to uh, ground your grandkids in stability? Then be loyal to your pastor. Gotcha. Be loyal to your pastor, though. Because the pastor, he will follow God as best as he can, but I don't want to say too much, actually. Thank you. Your pastor will follow God, period. There you go. I got you. Hopefully, yeah, that's the idea. But be loyal to your pastor. If you skip church, if you just skip around from church to church to church, based on the children's program, or, or because the music isn't very good, uh, then uh, your children will get that sense of instability as well. And they will grow up. Uh, church membership is nothing more than a YMCA membership. When really, Jesus shed his blood for the church. That's the value of church membership. So, ask yourself these four questions. Do I pray? Is there an open Bible in my home? How do my kids perceive me loving my wife or my husband? And am I prioritizing church, and particularly church membership? Ask yourself these, these four basic questions. And if you can't say yes to any of these, then I'm afraid you may be building your house apart from the Lord, and that would be in vain. But let me just tell you this, if you can answer yes to any of those things, don't fret too much, okay? I want to give you some hope. Run to God for the sake of your house. Yes. God can take our messes that we have spent years in the making and clean them up in a moment. All it takes is a worship service. All it takes is a Sunday morning. If God can change the course of direction for one person's life, he can change the direction 
for one home also. We've been talking about this idea of prayer on Wednesday nights. And one of the things my, my man Ronnie Floyd uh, says is that God can do more in a moment than we could do in a lifetime. And I believe that. That is true. Do not fret. If your home is not the way you would like it to be, because you know that it is not God-honoring and you have not built it upon the foundation of God's word, start today. God can do more in a moment than you can do the entire, all those years that you've spent screwing it up. 